0: This is More Than Therapy, where we do more than therapy, interviews, business profiles too, trainings and strategies, and thoughts of the day daily. This is More Than Therapy, More Than Therapy. Let's go ahead and start here. We're going to record here. And welcome to another episode of More Than Therapy, where we do more than therapy. Today's special guest is Marlena Rogers of Rogers Counseling, located here in Durham, North Carolina. And this is More Than Therapy. I've known Marlena Rogers for a number of years. She was one of the foundations of me establishing myself here in the Durham, North Carolina mental health market, as I typically worked in a rural community beforehand. Gave me the tools I needed to be successful and was one of the people to really sit me down and help me get focused regarding taking my licensure tests. As if it wasn't for her, I probably would still be provisionally licensed or no longer in the field, to be quite honest. Marlena Rogers, how are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? All right. What inspired you to be a person that's entered the mental health field and be a crucial person regarding the Foundation of Mental Health here in Durham, North Carolina?
1: Well, um, I was recruited into the field, actually. Um, I was in North Carolina, at a time where community based services was up and coming, and a lot of the agencies were looking for individuals degreed master's level uh, in a human service field, and at the time I qualified and I was recruited. Um, one of my first positions was qualified professional, known as QP. Mm-hmm. and. Um, what really uh, I enjoyed uh, about that position is, uh, again, the freedom and the autonomy to be able to serve individuals and be uh, a helping agent um, with a parameter set around goals and, and, and expectations as to how to serve them, but being able to use my own judgment and my own understanding of the individual to actually, you know, meet their needs. And and I really enjoyed uh, that ability.
0: Okay. When you were younger, um, do you think that anything in your past might have influenced your entry into the field?
1: Well, as I reflect back to uh, my younger days, I will acknowledge that uh, there's a repeated pattern within my life and that was just always trying to help folks or folks actually coming to me, Mm -hmm. um, seeking advice, seeking, um, you know, counsel. I'm an older sister, um, and I just, uh, you know, with my peers, I just unconsciously uh, always kind of served as a role model to them. Um, But in another sense, that was sort of kind of what kept me from moving deeper into the profession in terms of licensure um, because of my lack of understanding as to how a counselor should operate and function Uh, without, you know, knowledge. And from the outside, I assumed that, you know, I was to fix people or to take on their uh, issues. And um, as I moved further into the profession and um, was formally educated on counseling, and the um you know the profession, I recognize that that's the opposite of what we are called to do um and then, as I as a spiritual person, as my spiritual maturity um developed, I recognized that the pattern that I saw in my life was actually the my purpose and calling um from God um to actually serve as a healing agent as a counselor, and so you know, in conjunction with personal experiences and my, my nature, I decided to, you know, follow that calling and be formally educated as a counselor.
0: All right. Well, thank you for your service. Thank you. Counselors, as many people in the helping field, lawyers, police officers, doctors, nurses, have a tendency to not appropriately take care of themselves or not utilize the strategies that they put on others. What's your, what's your stance on that?
1: I think that uh, anyone who's following their passion in terms of a career. Um, and so we know like, you know, professions like a lawyer, you know, you're dedicating a large part of your life to that um, police and maybe not so much as in a formal sense in terms of education, but in terms of the dedication to the hours and to the uh, responsibility of, of having integrity and, and, and maintaining certain morals and standards, you know, that's a certain level of passion and dedication. And so when any time uh, a human enters something that they're passionate about and give so much of themselves, there's a tendency to lose who you are in that, um, to, to start operating from a place of the flesh and trying to meet needs beyond yourself, um, and so I think that that's where you kind of get lost in the boundaries that separate you from serving, and uh, versus feeling like you need to immerse yourself or throw yourself on the issue. None of us is that big in any profession to be able to do that. Indeed,
0: a lot of people enter the counseling service. I know when I was in school, anyway, because they wanted to fix themselves or find a stance to fix something in their family system. Like their mom might've been on drugs or their mom might've suffered from mental health disorders or they might've just experienced it themselves. You know, while they're in school, they're fixing themselves or they're alleviating some stress that they might have in their life. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Or have you noticed any trends such as that?
1: That's an interesting perspective because from the outside um, before as a lay person, um, we, as a lay person, as lay persons, we assume that counselors have it all together. Um, I mean, that's part of the trust in why someone would come and see someone There's a certain presentation of stability that a counselor presents as that makes you assume that they have it all together. They're all, you know, well being. Um, and so prior to coming into the formal uh, education perspective of counseling, um, I was too of that uh, mindset. As I continue to study and become a part of um, counseling world, I understand that part of the process is reviewing ourselves for traumas and personal experiences and relationships we've been in. Um, And so part of that process of awareness does include Reviewing yourself and your experiences in your family systems for these patterns or um you know identifying some certain factors um and so yes, the answer to your question in short is yes, when I review what I've learned with family systems personally, there's probably a part of me that wanted certain answers that I initially went uh in the spiritual sense to get that also helped me find the pathway of counseling and seeing myself um, counseling as a healer.
0: I know for myself, that was definitely one of the reasons why I entered the field of mental health. Well, one, my original degree was going to be in business and I just found that it was for lack of a better word, boring, not fulfilling. And then I remembered I reflected on, the issues my mother had with mental health, the issues my sister had with mental health, the issues that I personally had with mental health, and how when I was getting help for mental health or lack of help for mental health, how I was not getting what I needed in order to be well. I was getting what the cultural norms wanted to give me in the system that I was in at the time. When I was in my, um, my business program, I was like do do, do and yeah, I can do this, but I don't know if I could do this for the rest of my days. This is really dry. And I said, what is something I could do to, I could do forever. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's really no, there's no stop to this until your faculties no longer work. You could probably could do mental health at work to some degree for the rest of your days, if, if, if you still can. Um, and that's what I decided to do. I, work on me, but also wanted to be what I wished I would have received, I wished my mom would have received, I wished my sister would have received. And I find that because I walked this path and I walked in these shoes, I find myself in a better position to give back.
1: I think that's an interesting point and it absolutely resonates with me. Um, As I mentioned, I kind of straddled the fence on terms of uh, being in the mental health field and serving from an administrative perspective to finally moving to a um, licensure, a licensed counselor, and it was, um, again, trying to meet a need. My sister was in need of services in crisis, and from an administrative position, I understood where to direct her to, where to refer her to, how to case manage for her, how to advocate for her. Um, But when it came to giving a clinical perspective from my knowledge informally of what I seen in conjunction with what I thought her issues were I felt unheard and I felt like because I wasn't agreed or licensed that the uh, clinicians was not taking my my input seriously in terms of diagnosing her accurately and giving her the services that she needed and I would say within Three weeks of that experience, I began to get educated, enrolling myself into the programs um, that I needed necessary to start the pathway of licensure, starting with certification and moving towards licensure. Um, Because of my initial degree, public administration, uh, master's in public administration, um, my pathway was a little bit um, not as traditional as others. I started with the certification in substance abuse counseling and um, moved from that point. Um, But in my my practicing and my internship in the certification process, immediately I knew that the skills that I had gotten simply in the substance abuse training was not going to be enough. And as much as I didn't see myself getting a second master's immediately, if I was going to be an agent, a changing agent, a helping agent, that I was going to need more tools um, to support the reasons why people were using substances to uh, manage their feelings, their brokenness, their pain.
0: Indeed. I find myself in the same boat in some ways. Like, yeah, we got, um, addiction backgrounds as far as our um, licensures and certifications and the field itself doesn't seem to give us the respect that we need in order to be effective. While we can do mental health counseling and do addiction counseling, it's like we're at the bottom rung of being able to deliver the service and not given the esteem and respect from other services regarding it in many aspects. Um, I was a previously a team lead for community support team as an LCAS, but then the service definition changed, and they said people with casts cannot be the team lead anymore. I was a team lead for over 10 years, so that was shocking and very hurtful to me, myself. BetterHelp, an uh, online mental health platform program or whatever, indicates that LCASes are not eligible to be on that platform. Do people not have mental health, I mean, and addiction issues or do they only have mental health issues? Are you saying that a LPC or an LMFT or LCSW is better equipped to deal with mental health and addiction issues when a licensed person with an LCAS has the background for both? I think not, but that's where we stand right now. Our board, our lobbyists aren't as strong as the LCSW board who can who has lobbied and say that only we can bill for Medicare, leaving out all other, you know, licensures and certifications because their lobbying board is so strong. They're just bullied over, you know, the other services, the other types of um, mental health programs, um, licensures and certifications. And I think that is deplorable, that, you know, we should all be in here for one purpose, and that is to empower and educate the client base to heal the client base.
1: I agree. I feel like um, from a different perspective, but, but definitely having the same feelings. Part of my intimidation in navigating this situation was overhearing uh, persons discuss navigating you know, the testing, the hours, all of these um, parameters, and me just already having a master's degree, not being interested in any of that, and also feeling the um, judgment or the prioritization of these different degrees, the, you know, LCSW versus LPC, and what I labeled, you know, as degree snobs, I mean, it really turned me off. And so, Again, I was not not interested in any of it at all, and it actually delayed my process or my calling longer. I continued to educate myself and continued to ask my peers, you know, what is the difference between degrees? What does it require? What does it look like? And Though that process was very helpful because I continued to question it and I continued to question myself to be clear about if I was going to get a second master's degree, exactly how that would be used and exactly specifically what I was looking for. And unlike um, what I was being coached to do, which was the degree, the master's in social work to become licensed um, as a licensed uh, clinical social worker, I decided to get the master's in clinical mental health because my true desire is to be a licensed uh, practicing counselor. And um, I wasn't looking to be refer, you know, to be a referral source or a link, you know, in the way that the service definition says that, you know, someone who's degree in a uh, master's in social work is that my true calling and my true desire was to specifically counsel and counsel individuals. And so for me, that kind of research and the time that I took allowed me to find the, um, the program that I wanted at the institution that I wanted. And because it is a calling for me and I, you know, felt like it was a calling from God that I chose a, a Christian based school where I could be able to speak about the fact that I felt that it was a calling and to be reinforced in that way, um, you know, with my education.
0: Indeed, counselors need to do their own work. It's something that you've spoken on in the past. Um, I know a lot of counselors suffer with anxiety and depression, as well as other ailments. Some going into the addictions. Um, I remember a, a, a colleague of mine who was um, an LCSWA and a um, LCAS, a who was actively using substances while I'm working for the agency. And blurred boundary lines or actually broke boundary lines regarding utilizing such substances in the presence of the client or with the client. Wondering like if he could have benefited from, you know, his counseling himself. And if brought up to him just knowing who he is. He probably would have balked at it like counselors are supposed to have their own skill set. They probably don't need therapy. But when I was in school, that was one of the things that we were encouraged to do at least for one semester was um seek out therapy services mental health services in order to get a feel of what it would look like as a person on the couch i guess and i just continued with that as i do have a number of diagnoses that i deal with but the caveat is that is like when i go to my psychiatrist when i had reentered into mental health services recently you know, I was asking for certain medication to help me focus because I was really going through some things at work. There's just so much productivity put on us and not getting the support that I felt I needed as a clinician. And I asked her, you know, help me something, give me something to focus or help me, to give me something to, to reduce anxiety. But because I was a therapist, she felt that I had a skill base, strategies that I could utilize instead of utilizing medication. And I think that that. I didn't think that was appropriate and that kind of hurt me to a sense because I know I can use skills all day, but sometimes you need a little bit more. And I actually do have a clinical diagnosis of bipolar two. So that does in many cases need medication management. And I was just turned off by the fact that that psychiatrist indicated that I was not eligible for that because I was a therapist and I should just use my strategies and use my skills. And I wonder That if I came in with a different complexion from a different cultural background, would that have been the case? As I know, a clinical director who actually is prescribed Xanaxes, and I'm pretty sure that her symptoms aren't any more complicated than mine.
1: I think that what you've said is very loaded and layered. I would like to start with the fact that um, the master's level degree For counseling does require us to look at the ethical considerations and does formally, you know, train us that we need to do our own work. We have clinical supervision. We are called to participate in groups so we can see what groups feel like, what is part of being group member. We are called to sit in on, you know, meetings, AA meetings, such, you know, environments like that. Um, and then also, again, the individual counseling, if you need it. Our courses that I've taken that actually warned us we had to fill out emergency contact information because of the level of the coursework and the outcome that students had, you know, experienced. Um, and so you had you went into this course with these warnings um, and this um, actually asked us to list a therapist or know our insurance information so really being diligent about making sure that we followed up on that step and i think that's important because you a lot of the things that we experience are subconscious um and when you start to dig deep into those things and you sit to reflect and resonate on things that you've had and then you compare them with the education and clinical knowledge that you're receiving it's impossible not to make some links and to have some experiences from it, even if you just learn your own patterns and become aware of your patterns of operation. So you need to manage that. You need to be prepared for that. You need to deal with that. Um, And more importantly, the gateway to, to mental health services start at an outpatient level okay and that's your one-on-one service with your counselor a time where there's not a lot of supervision it's not other people watching your individual with your client and so if you're a person who hasn't done your work you are in a position to do a lot of damage because of the autonomy and the responsibility you're given in that environment um But more importantly, from the client's perspective, and you've given some examples of the inappropriate boundaries that a client has done in one aspect, but even at a lesser level where the person has taken all of the energy and and wherewithal they have as a a human to really come to terms with the fact that they are hurting on an emotional level and being impeded in life to the degree that they need to seek services. You are the gatekeeper to this person even, you know, continuing with that service or if they need even more, sometimes they do, to moving forward. So as a gatekeeper, your responsibility is huge in that customer service experience with that individual. Indeed, indeed. I've been told, people have shared with me where, you know, their therapist has canceled on them multiple times, has fell asleep in a session. Um, you know, and basically just really not taking care of the individual in a time that they need to be cared for at most when they're most vulnerable. Um, and so you're doing great harm by not creating certain environment and and that's external and internal. And I'd like to elaborate on that further. And do that <laughs> so as we were talking about resolving our own issues mm-hmm. clients need a safe place to process and heal yes we've already spoken about the fact that it's already taken almost all the energy they have to make the appointment to identify where to go to make the appointment and to show up so if we looked at a barometer from zero to hundred let's say that that took sixty percent out of them right you get them in the office And you haven't done your work. You're dysregulated for your own personal issues, whatever they may be, financial, interpersonal, you know, mental health, substance abuse, whatever the issue is. And they meet a person who isn't receptive, isn't prepared for them. All of this comes from an emotional energy perspective. And so from the time my client makes the appointment, I need to begin to prepare for them, to receive them. As a Christian counselor, that might mean praying that I'm the person they need to see, or that they get the revelation that I need to be the person that they need um, to work with, um, or if not. But basically, it starts from being prepared in my spirit to receive them. And as they show up, um, it's important that I've checked my own energy, that I'm regulated. Whatever happened before their appointment is no regard. If that means I need to show up to my space early, play meditation music, have a cup of coffee, I need to do self-care to manage myself so that they are receiving a flat and stable uh, individual. when I say flat, not that I'm devoid of emotion but that I'm not projecting any emotion of my own onto them. Um, my environment needs to be warm and inviting. Um, I need to be you know cognizant of the temperature, the seating arrangement, you know, make sure that they're cleaning products out so they are aware that the environment is safe and sanitized, have masks if necessary if they don't come with one. But more importantly, that anything that I need to do for the session is already done so that I'm able to engage with them eyeball to eyeball and that they immediately have my intention intention when they come in. Um, I deal with duly diagnosed individuals. So a lot of times, the substance abuse history, they don't have the ability to wait. They want to speak as soon as they come in about their day or whatever's going on with them. That impulsivity is always, almost always present. And so it doesn't have to be spoken. I need to know that as a clinician that I need to be ready to engage them at whatever level they come in the minute they hit the door. Um, And I think it's unfair for for us as clinicians to make them wait or to be unprepared or to be taking phone calls or to be, it's just unfair. We knew they were coming, they have a scheduled time, and I need to be responsible and engage them when they arrive. And um, again, the, the ethics, a lot of the external in terms of the environment and, and receiving them.
0: Indeed, indeed.
1: More going a little deeper, the internal preparedness includes, uh, again, regulating myself, understanding my own biases. We all watch the news. We all have feelings about what is happening. So I need to understand where I am with that and, you know, how to manage that appropriately and ensure that I'm not engaging any counter transference with my client. Right.
0: I know we find ourselves in an interesting position in in the current world regarding trump getting (laughs) BLM, our political stances, COVID-19, mask, no mask. And I think that, clients are very verbal or maybe sometimes not as verbal regarding their stance as well as clinicians, as they may make a stance in social media or in their personal lives. And I find that sometimes when they're on different ends of the spectrum, that that can impact the counseling. Yeah. For instance, I had a client that was definitely a a Trump supporter and though I didn't judge them based on their proposed ignorance regarding the, um, their love and affinity for that president. I believe that because I was of a um, Cuban, Latina, African, Latina background, that they thought that automatically I'm a Democrat, that automatically I'm for Biden, automatically I'm against Trump. And yes, they assumed correct. <laughs> but at the same time I don't use that bias I don't use that stance to impact them or to change their view or to work against them you know what I'm saying I still want you to be empowered I still want you to be well I still want you to be the best you you can be regardless of how you feel about my political stance or your own political stance but I did see some disconnect regarding some of my Caucasian clients during this political climate. In fact, some of my peers that are of the Caucasian persuasion also disconnected. As I was very vocal, you know, I have a podcast regarding politics with Mercer Prescott. And we're very vocal regarding our stances on social media. And of course, you know, people in my peer circle, my former supervisors, my fellow counselors who may be of the white persuasion you know, it might felt a certain way. For some reason, they just felt really strongly about aligning themselves with Trump. But at the same time, when Trump was running, they wasn't on Trump's team like that. They were like behind whoever else. And only when they, he finally took the reins, did they switch their position or was their position always internal anyway? Regardless of what it is, they don't want to levy up their rights to this world.
1: I'm going to piggyback off of a point that you made earlier regarding cultural disparity when you had a personal experience in seeing your physician versus experiences that you may be aware of with others of a different culture. And I think that absolutely exists. Um, I think it absolutely exists. And um, I find it interesting in my own um, experience in counseling as I started, uh, again, as a uh, certified substance abuse Uh, counselor, um, I was in a dynamic situation. Um, I kind of interned within the SAOP program, Mm -hmm. which was predominantly African American, and their substance of choice was predominantly cocaine and crack. And then as I got a formal role um, in um, addictions, uh, being a Uh, program manager for the office-based opiate treatment program, I obviously had a different client base um, that was predominantly Caucasian. Now, this occurred prior to the cultural shifts and political shifts that we experienced, and I had very good relationships with all of my clients. They came from rural areas, and again, like you said, I served them to meet a need without regard to how they present in the in the physical sense. And it was always a respectful ex- exchange. So I always move from a place of respect. And that comes, it starts with me in my presentation, how I show up consistently on my outward appearance. And that goes to doing the extra things in terms of, you know, your clothing, everything you need to be together to demonstrate a certain level of respect and structure and togetherness. Um, And I think that that's one of the things that I use, a soft skill that I use um, throughout my career. Now, as I continue to operate as a clinician and counsel predominantly Caucasian individuals in a time that is very divisive, again, as you say, Uh, These political positions and and biases are coming out and being more outspoken than they were when I initially entered the field. I believe that those were the feelings of those individuals then. However, they were not um, empowered to speak as they are freely now. But one of the things that I use with my clients is that I break down judgment and barriers by always, from the beginning, speaking about addiction as a disease. And so because I continue to come to them at a place of non-judgment, I believe they interact with me as such. They respond to me as such. Now, obviously, you see that I'm lighter complected, and I do know that that makes them feel a level of comfortability to say things to me that they may not say to someone who was of a darker complexion. However, I still stand strong in my own culture and the only you know, racial identity that I know. And so while I don't need to impose myself on anyone, I operate from a place of unconditional positive regard. And that allows me to build a therapeutic relationship that allows them to be who they are while I'm still who I am. And, um, and I think that that allows them to speak freely about their views, but not in a disrespectful way. And I allowed them to have that. But we always come from a place of education. One of the comments that I had from one of my group members recently was, I noticed that I just see a lot of, you know, it's only just talking about, um, you know, Caucasian folks using opiates. And so we had a honest discussion about that. I mean, there's a lot of implications as to why we can find a lot of programming and movies on the opiate addiction and why and how and how it's affecting them. But we, as an African-American community, had a same epidemic that wasn't televised, that wasn't supported with alternatives. And that was one of the first disparities that I noticed. How did we have a crack epidemic in the 80s where families were destroyed and nothing was discussed? And here we are with so much discussion and so many uh, tools of assistance in another epidemic. And that's just reality. That's the honest world that we live in and we have to have honest discussions about that reality otherwise it's an elephant in the room.
0: Indeed thank you for that perspective. What are some wellness tools that you use in order to be well in this field as of course you have a counseling stance which dejects hypocrisy (laughs) so what do you do to be well?
1: Well again I see myself as a counselor Uh, as a healing tool, an actual tool, like a textbook or what have you. And so when you come with that, you need to understand some of the things that I've already shared, but also some soft skills, which include your own knowledge of how to work with your individual. So again, the basis of what we're taught is that the therapeutic relationship is key, no matter what theoretical model that you use in counseling. I think something that is maybe not necessarily spoken of, but maybe implied, that has always worked for me, is that I take detailed notes and I listen intently to my client. People are contradictory. They say something one day based on their feeling and something else another day. Uh, One of the things that helps me and that my clients do recognize that I do is remember things that they say and reflect those things. Helping to reflect those things that they shared, one, shows them that I'm paying attention and I listen, which then subconsciously makes them feel cared about and understood and heard. But it also makes them accountable to their vacillating perspectives. And one of the things that we are trying to get our clients to do is to be less motivated by their feeling and be more motivated by controlling their thoughts that lead to feelings, that lead to behavior.
0: Indeed. 2021 is on the horizon. What are your plans for this upcoming year, especially as the roller coaster we experienced here in 2020?
1: I think that tooling myself with all of the information available, taking advantage of any... Virtual courses that there are so many out there through your associations, um, you know, various boards, um, what have you, giving any information that I have. Because right now, you know, as you spoke about before, there was a lot of um, uh, d- uh division about what services could be provided to who based on pair, but the combination of the political environment. The BLM movement, the opiate crisis, and other usage of substances to manage the feelings that people are having about being shut in, about being financially in despair, about not being able to connect with their families and friends, are going to produce a large need for both mental health and substance abuse counseling. And the call is going to be great. And the only key is going to be licensure and credentialing to do the service. I think it's going to be less about what type of, you know, if it's LCSW or LPC or LCAS, I think it'll be less about that. Even C, um, CADC, it'll be less about what you have versus your experience and skill set. And if you can demonstrate your skill set and your experience, you're going to be able to meet needs because uh, the needs going to be great and diverse. So retooling yourself, um, taking care of yourself, honoring yourself by I mean, you have to do what you say. You have to, you cannot preach one thing and do something else. And that leads to a point that you said before, you know, with the boundary crossing and, you know, saying one thing to your clients and doing something else. I mean, if you believe what you read, you understand that any substance in excess is going to produce the same result for any individual over a period of time. And, um, and so you just need to be aware of that. It's not a judgment or... Um, you know, any kind of shaming on anyone. I would just encourage any counselor to understand the importance they have as a role model to clients and to really take responsibility for that and work on yourself to the best that you can. Don't preach to someone using schedulings and reminders to keep themselves to make an appointments and then don't do it for yourself. You know, don't say you should get sleep and exercise and don't do it for yourself. It's like watching a doctor say smoking is hazardous for your health and he smokes cigarettes or any substance that's harmful.
0: Indeed. Indeed. So tell people about your agency, your company, the things that you're doing now in mental health, Rogers Counseling in particular?
1: Well, as I spoke before, I'm in the middle of, halfway in the middle of my uh, master's in mental health counseling. So by December 2021, I hope to be fully licensed Um, in that I'm fully certified as a certified alcohol and drug counselor. So that will automatically turn into a licensed Uh, Council of uh, of, uh, Addiction Services, so um, I'll be duly licensed and look forward to continuing in private practice. Um, Currently, I'm running groups, which I enjoy, uh, for substance abuse, Um, and I also am um, credentialed for um, ADAT services, which is for DWI, so continuing teaching in that field in terms of uh, group services as well and serving um, the community in that way. Um, And then as I continue to grow, I look forward to collaborating with More Than Therapy and other collaborators that I'm currently working with to find out how we can continue to meet the needs in the community of individuals. Um, I'm passionate about women and women issues, um, specifically parenting. Because we understand as clinicians that a lot of the trauma that we experience is as a result of childhood um experiences. And if we could educate the African American community specifically on some of the importance in terms of, of, of parenting, you know, stable presentation households, dinner, um, you know, checking in with homework, engagement with their children that that would go a long way in terms of trying to arrest the mental health issues and symptoms that we see later on in life, even as early as adolescence. We could start at parenting from the beginning. We would do a lot of good work.
0: Indeed. I wish that counseling could be incorporated into like the school agenda, the school program. I wish that parents could give them their children, the wellness skills and the strategies that they can utilize in order to navigate this very complicated world that we live in. Um, I thank you for the work that you do. Thank you. I look forward to seeing what you do in the future. I look forward to collaborating and working with you regarding the mission of educating and empowering others, inspiring others, motivating others. And that's that.
1: I look forward to working with you as well.
0: Right. Any last words?
1: I'm looking forward for a safe, happy, and prosperous 2021. And I'm wishing everyone wellness.
0: Indeed. And that concludes another episode of More Than Therapy, featuring Marlena Rogers of Rogers Counseling, located here in Durham, North Carolina. It's not in Durham, North Carolina? It is. That's what I thought. I don't know why the producer did that. Thank you. We let this. We let the last drink keep going. That was a good. I think that was a. Oh shit. <laughs> that was a good. I think that was a good episode. What you
1: think? I think so. I think. I think that you're I- a
0: very good interview. You definitely fill the space with. Information. See what I hate. I had an interview the other day. Ask a question. Give me like four words. So I had to keep going, keep going. I don't, I don't like talking. I want, I want to talk less. You know what
1: I'm saying. All I can say is that I've been looking forward to this opportunity for a long time. Yeah. Initially, when you talked to me about it, I was frozen with fear.
0: Oh man, crazy. Um, yeah. it's crazy. It's a good time. It's like no stress. I mean, we can always stop, restart, stop, restart.
1: Yeah. The questions sure. aren't
0: gonna be digging, digging into your personals like that per se.
1: Yeah.
0: Depending on the interview type.
1: Well, it's just intimidating. I mean, you are well versed at this, you've done a lot. Um, I've seen some of what you've done, and really, I've never really even heard myself recorded, let alone videoed. So okay. I was intimidated initially. But um, as I continue to, to um, reflect on it and to discuss it with you mm-hmm. um, and then as I continue my education, I do feel like I have some perspectives that I'd like to share yeah. um, and I had something to say. So um, I think with timing, everything comes as it needs to. There
0: you go, there you go. You'll find, especially as the world is changing, that You'll be doing more of this type of thing because, you know, groups, trainings, you know, things, things you're getting into, collaborations, workshops, we're moving to a more virtual world. And, you know, you've already you've always been a great speaker. You've always been very articulate in speaking. I mean, I know more and more on one-on-one, but if you've done groups before. So in, even with that, as we do something more, we grow more. We start getting our swag on it, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, one of the things that I try to do in my life right now is to always press myself to do things that I don't really want to do, mm-hmm. you know, or things that are uncomfortable to me. Right. Um, I also serve as a tutor. Um, and when things had changed, I had um, kind of stri- not started the fence, but basically launched two businesses because I'd always done tutoring and um, taught early reading skills, which I've also been um, passionate about. And so launching my educational services, um, you know, and uh, seeing what that looked like in a virtual world in terms of, you know, recording myself and um, doing a virtual classroom. And that was super intimidating. Right. And um, but I have Uh, students that I have been working with now for three months. And, you know, I fought through all of the angst that I had, and it was a fight to um, continue to pursue that. And, um, and so I could continue to tell myself that I need to always keep a something operating that push that expects me to grow and push further.
0: Right. All right. All right. All right. hypocrites, though, <laughs> you know, this ain't for the podcast. It's just keeping it 100. There's a lot of hypocrisy. I see so many ethical violations. And even when I tell my supervisor or tell my director about what I'm seeing or what I'm noticing, it's almost like it's brushed underfoot. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And I think that as a whole impacts morale because I'm not the only person seeing it in the many cases. And when I think when they see people getting away with stuff, clinicians, you know, that I supervise I think that takes away from their dedication to the, to the work. Um, You know, we've expanded a lot at my agency and I just find that the quality of work isn't as strong as when you were there a couple of years ago. It's almost like they've been impacted by the evil, the darkness of others, and that therefore they can't be a hundred percent for themselves. And these are many cases. These are people that I've seen in the past, the ones that, the ones that I do know personally that were phenomenal. Maybe that were like, oh, I want her on my team or I want him on my team. Or, you know, if I had another agency, I want them with me, you know, my board or whatever. But not so much anymore now. It's like their essence of their soul of empowerment and education of being in the helping field has been stripped away.
1: I think stripped away is an excellent way to put it. Um, I spoke earlier about the fact that... um, there's energy. I mean, you know, there's science to everything, right? Right. So we know that energy is transferred, Mm -hmm. right? So understanding the environment that you are in. Okay. And if it's toxic, it will deplete you. It will rob you of your morale, of your spirit, of your dedication. It will rob you. Um, when I entered the environment, uh, I, my spirit, Was I was at a point of growing my spirituality and in that environment, in certain positions, I was able to do that. I was undercover and I really honed my spiritual life. Um, And I served to be a person that got along with others who wanted to be a beacon of light. That was intentional. I chose to be that person. Mm -hmm. And, um, And then I saw myself as I moved on because, of course, those things, you know, cause promotion to occur in your life, right? It's a natural occurrence. You do well, you get well. Right and um i saw myself um changing when um my needs were being less met or i felt that my value was not being um saw you know wasn't being seen rather um my value wasn't being seen and, and 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 it diminished me i began i felt it internally see that's the thing about recognizing yourself or self care you have to be able to recognize when you're not operating as your best self right and i recognized i wasn't operating as my best self but as you stated if you don't have good clinical supervision mm-hmm. you know you might be not directed appropriately and i think in certain certain you know circumstances i absolutely was not being directed appropriately to one, even, even to get the right terminology of what was happening. Right. And what was happening to me is that my value system was, was, was at at war, mm-hmm. right? So my intention to serve people and to do things with integrity, to do things, you know, in right order was operating contrary to the environment, which was not the priority there. Right. And so in my determination to be one way in an environment that wasn't supportive of that, It was contradictory and painful in the flesh to experience that. And if you're not strong or you feel not empowered to make a change or you're not in a situation to make a change, it's an imprisonment or a a bondage of sorts. There's no way for the human spirit to to survive that. Now, what I can say about that is a person such as myself who never desired to be an entrepreneur retooled herself to understand that I could not do this work. And in an environment, as important as it is, mm-hmm. with the dedication that it requires, I could not continue to do this work in an environment that was going to be toxic. That the way that I served myself in self-care was to take myself to an environment that valued integrity, that valued the client coming first and the client's needs coming first. And so... I would offer to those persons to do a self-reflection and find out how they can tool themselves to move themselves in an environment that supports their value system.
0: Right. All right. Well, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs)